Go ahead and grab a seat. Um, I Thank you. I am not Dustin. Don't know if you guys noticed. Um, I'm Megan Hackman. Um, I am visiting you all this morning from up in Washington State, where I am planting a church. Um, Jacksonville, you may not know it, but you guys have already made a significant contribution, not only to the church plant, the uh, church that we are starting, but just to church planting in general. Uh, this was the first church when I came into the Presbytery eight years ago that was talking about church plantings. So I'm grateful for Pastor Larry and for his heritage here and for you all's investment in us. I want to just kind of give you a little bit of who I am before we get into the word here. If you were to come and visit Port Orchard, Washington, where I live, the first thing you would notice is uh, the beautiful mountains we have surrounding us, just like you all have surrounding you. It's on the water. I've got a, I've got a picture for you of my little town. Um, and you'd see the boats and you'd walk a quaint uh, antique mall strip of our downtown that's not quite as revitalized and lovely as yours, um, but you would enjoy being waterside. These are the first things that I noticed a year ago, May, when I went to Port Orchard and rented a house for three days. And I had been there many times before. I'd been visiting Port Orchard since I was 19 because my military family retired there. So I I was regularly going to visit them. But I was going with a new set of eyes a year and a half ago. And that was with the question of, uh, is this a place that we need to start a new church? Uh, I am part of a church called Chapel Hill Church. It's an uh, evangelical Presbyterian church, same denomination as Jacksonville, that's 15 miles south of Port Orchard. And we were noticing a lot of people driving down from Port Orchard. So I went with with a question, is there spiritual hunger in Port Orchard? Spiritual hunger turns out was everywhere. And what that looked like was uh, going to a local park and r- running into people all the time who are lonely and looking for conversation. It looks like connecting with a mom in a coffee shop and just having her really pour out her heart about how long it had been since she had connected with God. It looks like a bank teller asking me for prayer the first time I met her. Um, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, this is the spiritual hunger that we were noticing in Port Orchard. It's spiritual hunger that I would venture to guess is here in the Rogue Valley. And it is also the same spiritual hunger that was present 2,000 years ago when Jesus and his disciples passed through uh, one little town, Sychar, in the region of Samaria. And what I'm curious about is if today we might be able to see that God might be calling us as a people to give food to people who are spiritually hungry. We're going to look at John 4 today. We've already been invited to open up your Bibles, as is your tradition here. Get that in print in front of you on page 1056, John chapter 4. But before I get into reading the text, I want to paint a picture for you of what's happening here in John 4, because it's a, it's a big, long story, and I want you to feel it. So what's happening is Jesus and his disciples are walking a long way, and they are, they've just come into this small town. They've arrived in the heat of the day. And the most tired one of the group says, I'm going to stay here by the highway at the watering hole, and you guys go into town and get food. And it's a little shocking to me to read this, but the most tired person in that traveling group was Jesus. So Jesus wants to sit by the well, and he sends all of his disciples into town. Now, imagine you're one of the disciples and you've just left your weary Jesus at the well. You've gone to get food and you've come back. 
and you are really surprised at what Jesus is doing when you get back. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. Now, this is shocking for a couple reasons. First of all, Jews and Samaritans as races didn't really get along. Like, you wouldn't seek conversation with each other. Second of all, this is a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a Jewish man, and culturally, that would have just been really inappropriate for a man to be speaking with a woman. And third of all, you can make a lot of assumptions about this woman and her reputation and her character because she has avoided the morning rush hour, if you will, of the well. She's avoided running into other women. She's coming to the well at the heat of the day. So you can make a lot of assumptions about her reputation. The disciples, interestingly, don't ask Jesus any questions about that. As you guys have been seeing, as you've been journeying through John, Jesus does some surprising things. So they don't question him, but they tuck it away. The woman leaves, and as the disciple coming back, you're saying to Jesus, hey, I've got food for you to eat, right? You just left him really weary a couple hours ago. And Jesus is like, I don't need that food. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? I, like, I got your favorite Starbucks order. You, you don't want it? And Jesus says, no, I've got food to eat that you don't know anything about. And they're like, did somebody, did you show up? John, did you beat me here? Did somebody else get him food? And Jesus says, no, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. And what I'm wondering today, as we look at Jesus who's weary, who does some good work and then is satisfied, is it possible that those of us who are weary might find that if we engage in the same work, we also are satisfied? So is there anybody in here that's feeling a little weary, a little busy, a little overwhelmed, don't have a lot of room in your life for anything? I wonder if you might just find in the story today that Jesus actually has good work for the weary. And that is what is truly satisfying. So the talk today is work for the weary. Let me pray for us as I open God's word. Jesus, would you meet especially those of us who are weary, and satisfy us with your good food? Would we see something of you that we haven't seen before? And would you settle within us the need for purpose and identity and a good story? And so meet us in your word today, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm actually jumping in the story to John chapter 4, verse 38. I mean, actually 34. John chapter 4, verse 34. It's about halfway down that first column on page 1057. The disciples have come back to Jesus at the well. And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months and then it's going to come the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. I don't know if y'all say this here, but we say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay, I'm going to get geeky on you for a second. I hope you can handle it. 
This story is bookended by one word, the word weary. And what's in the middle is this ever so satisfying gift, this food that's between these words for weary. So the first weary is at the beginning of the story in John 4, verse 6. Just keep your Bible open. We're going to be all over the place. Um, Jesus says, wearied as he was from his journey was sitting by the well. Jesus is weary at the beginning of the story. And then it bookends with the word weary in verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you did not, what's the word? Labor. Okay, so in the original language, we have the word labor. The original language, it's the same word. It's this word weary. And so Jesus starts weary and it ends with a message that you will not be weary. You will not labor. And what's in between is this gift of good work that God wants you to understand is what he is calling and sending you out to do. That work, he says, is to reap. It's to gather in that which you didn't work for. He's speaking in metaphor. Jesus did this a lot. He was trying to get a, a bigger picture understanding of what was going on. So he used words and images that they understood. Jesus often used uh, the language of fishermen, that you would cast out nets and you would gather in disciples. If he were going to come and speak here at Jacksonville, he might refer to the pear orchards. You didn't buy those original seedlings. Generations ago, that land was purchased. You didn't have to go till the ground, but you're going to go out and you're going to bring in and harvest all the pears that you didn't work for, that were already there. So this is the metaphor that he's using that we are being sent out to gather in people to reconnect with God. We are gathering and we are assembling a family. And Jesus wants us to go out to the isolated, the lonely, the ones who've taken the bad steps, who are guilty and grieving and purposeless and apathetic. These are the people of the world that he wants to gather together into a family that will go into eternity so that we might all rejoice. That's the goal. That's the end. The disciples are confused by all this metaphor talk. Maybe you are too. They're like, are we still talking about food? And Jesus is like, no. So let me tell you what just happened. They were, con they were confused until they understood what, had ha what Jesus had just experienced with this woman at the well. So I imagine if we can use a holy imagination that Jesus then began to fill them in um, this conversation that they had, he had just had with the women, with the woman at the well. So the disciples are entering into a story. All they know is that they had started to come into this town of Samaria. In, um, in John 4, 4, it says, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jesus did not actually have to pass through Samaria. There was a Jewish-approved bypass of that part of town, so you didn't have to walk through. Could have totally taken the bypass. But he had to go through Samaria. That is it's a word of divine intention. Jesus intended to be in this town at this moment for this conversation. He had to show up in Samaria. The first work for the weary, you guys like outlines. I want outline for you. This is Dustin's way, okay? The first work for the weary is just to show up. Show up where you have to go. 
Now, on a daily basis, God's probably going to use you where you are. You guys live in Jacksonville. I don't. There's probably a divine reason for that. So on the, on the whole, God's going to use you where you are. But if you get one of those spidey sense kind of feelings, like you have to go to the grocery store, like right now, you have to call someone. I have learned that a lot of times that is the inclination of the Holy Spirit telling me I have to be somewhere. And the more I obey those silly little ningling, I have to park there, whatever, the more I'm able to operate in the Holy Spirit and understand when I just have a selfish inclination to do something and when God's actually calling me to do something. It's divine intention and what you have to do. I just moved to Port Orchard in July. And y'all, I had to go to the Bethel Saloon, okay? I just had to. I got a great picture of this here. Now, did I have to go to the Bethel Saloon? No. There's more respectable establishments for me and my friends to go to. But I pass this saloon every day. It's a half mile from my house. I can walk there. And I've just had the sense since I moved there that I had to go to the Bethel Saloon. So I went on Friday, and I did what any good pastor would do. I called up my friends and said, you have to go to the tavern with me, right? And so these friends of mine, Chris and Michelle, they're my age. They grew up in Port Orchard. They'd never been in the tavern before, which I thought was crazy, right? And turns out when Michelle comes to pick me up, she's like nervous about this. I don't understand this, but she's like, it's like going to be a violent bank, like biker gang. Like I'm totally nervous about walking in. The grandmas, put that in quotes, that are taking care of both my kids and their kids, so both sets of grandmas are like totally nervous that we're going to the tavern. I'm like, gosh, guys, come on. Do you know what we found when we went inside the tavern? People we knew. That's right. That's right. So I ran into Kaylin from my gym, got to have a conversation with her. Turns out Chris's cousin is the bartender, so she paid for our drinks, you know? When we listen to where we have to go, it turns out that often God has already put people there that we're supposed to see. And don't you think I'm going to have a really different conversation with Kaylin at the gym because we were hanging out in the same place on Friday night? The first work for the weary is just to show up where God has you. The second work for the weary is to show your need. Show your need. When Jesus comes and the woman who he has to see comes to the well, he did something that's super shocking. I already told you that it, was cra- that it was just really unprecedented that Jesus would have this conversation with her. Well, he also asks for something from her. She can't believe it. He just asked for a, dr- for a glass of water. And by asking for that drink of water, he opens up this conversation. It's amazing the kind of openness that people will give to you if you open up from a place of need. Not manipulative because you're desperate to start a conversation, but like you would legitimately expect that the people God puts in your path might have something to offer you that you need. I told you I met Kaylin at the gym. It's a new gym for me, and I have no idea how to use like anything there. They're like using these sandbags, TRX bands. There's these um, boxes that you jump on. I don't know if they have a formal name, but they are terrifying for me. And so I, I want to start conversations with people, Right. But I think we can get into danger territory when we think that everybody's a project and you're the one with everything to offer. And if they would just listen to what you have, then their lives would be better, right? Like you're the one who has everything to offer. I actually believe that Jesus puts people in our path who are going to be able to help meet some of our needs. There's a mutuality in relationship. So Jesus leads with, I need a glass of water. And it opens up this beautiful conversation. 
So show up, show your need, and then see what kind of conversation God has in store for you. How do you transition into a conversation deeper? Well, you know, it's just really simple. Show some interest in the person you're talking to. Like be genuinely curious about them. Like you genuinely want to know them. And it's a beautiful thing how deep a conversation can go. Jesus opens this conversation with needing water and he's interested in her home life and in her spiritual life. Jesus is God. He actually knows her whole story. He doesn't need to ask, but he wants to let her unfold her story in her own time. When he asks for a drink, she asks back, like, how could you even ask me for a glass of water? Like, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. This, you can't do this. And Jesus could have turned the conversation back on himself and been like, oh, well, I don't have an issue with all their races. I'm woke, you know, like, I don't have these races. But he doesn't turn the conversation back on himself. He keeps it on her and what she might need. That conversation, I really want to invite you to go home and read this afternoon. Read it in a study Bible because the depth of the kinds of things Jesus brings out are beautiful. What he's offering in terms of who he is as God, the gift of the Holy Spirit that wells up to eternal life. Don't miss all of that. So go, go back to that on your own, okay? But what comes out in that conversation is that he really wants to know about her, keeping the conversation on her. So he asks her to go get her husband so that they can keep the conversation going. And she says, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, I know. You've, got, you've had four husbands and the man you're with isn't your husband. There's no judgment in that. It's just a fact. He's just acknowledging um, where she is in her life. And what's um, fascinating is that she, she's like, oh, I see that you're not like a normal human being. Like, you know things. And I perceive that you are a prophet, she says. And um, so she decides that she wants to talk religion with him. She wants to talk about her spirituality. Look, people know where they are in their life. Like, that's not a secret. But when we can come at it without judgment, it really opens things up. Not that you have to have prophetical powers, but you can come with love and people will open. So Jesus is able to get at the heart of what she really desires. And what she really desires is to know how to connect with God. How is she going to do it? So she asks him, do I have to go to Jerusalem like the Jews to connect with God? Or is it like my faith tradition where I grew up, where you worship God on this mountain? And Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus says, a day's coming when it's not going to matter where you worship. It matters who you are when you come to worship. I'm seeking worshipers in spirit and in truth, people who will be transparent about who they are before God. And I imagine at this point in the conversation, if I can just invite a little holy imagination, that at this point it gets a little quiet and she can't make eye contact anymore and she looks away because she can't believe that that could be true. Is it really possible that me, a woman who's had four husbands and is currently living with a man, could reconnect with God? Is it really possible that me, who's been rejected by, I can't have com community with any women here because they all know my story. Could it really be that God wants to reconnect with me? Could it be that if you've had a life of addiction and not known a sober day, and you know how many days. Is it possible to really reconnect with God? Is it possible 
that there might be a day where it didn't matter if you went to college or not, whether you have a job or not, whether you're mentally ill or not. Is it possible? If only. And I know that there's that if only in her soul because of what she says next. She says, sorry, I got to find where I'm at. Verse 25, I know that Messiah, that anointed one, I know when he's coming, he'll tell us all these things. Yeah, I know there's a day. I know it's out there. There might be a day where I can reconnect with God. He's not here. I'm still at the well in the heat of the day. Nobody wants to talk to me. And I just wonder how many people here might be sitting in that. Like, if only there were a way back to God. I'm sitting here in church, but you don't know what's going on in my life. God left me a long time ago. If only there were a way back. And into that silence, Jesus speaks. And he says, I who speak to you am he. I'm the way back. I'm the one who will come and sit with you in the heat of the day. I'm the way to reconnect with God. Jesus shows her that he is the one who is going out to reconnect the lonely and the misstepped and the guilty and the shamed back into the family of God. And Jesus is still the one who invites all of us who have a messy life, who love the Bethel Saloon. He's the one who's coming out to us and inviting us to connect just by talking to him. We all have done things and said things that we know would push us on the outside if only somebody knew. And Jesus is the one who says, I will go to the outside for you. In just a short while from this moment, Jesus is going to be led out of town. His friends this time, they didn't leave to go get food. They abandon him. And he will be in the company of murderers. And he will be led out to be killed, dying the death of someone who's done the most horrible things. And he will die the death that our sin causes us either that inner or that outer separation from the world and from God. And he did that for you so that you would not have to know that separation. It got to the point where when Jesus is on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it is to be forsaken by God because he didn't want you to know what it's like to be forsaken by God, cast out in the heat of the day. So he went out for you. And he didn't stay there. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to reconnect with the Father, to pave the way for us to be reconnected to the Father, no longer carrying the shame of a past story, but reconnected in the family of God as a son or a daughter. And so to each of us today, Jesus still says, I'm going to come out to you to the heat of the day in the well. And I'm going to say, come to me, come and drink of the living water that bubbles up to eternal life. When you come to me, you will never be thirsty again. Jesus invites you to be forgiven 
from all of your past and given a new story. Jesus shows up. He shows his need. He shows interest. And finally, he shows himself. He shows himself to you. And I know that she saw Jesus because she left her water jug, what she came out for. She runs back to town and she tells town, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Who wants that testimony? Who wants to go out into Jacksonville and say, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did? She must have known that God was offering her a new story. And it bubbled up a joy in her, a rejoicing in her that led her to call everyone to come back to meet this Jesus. I'm seeing this joy bubble up in Port Orchard. I told you I went for that first time in May, 18 months ago. The first place I went was a bank. I went with a dozen donuts to a bank where one of our elders, Steve, works. Just thought it was an easy place to show up. So I'm looking when I get there for somebody who can show me where to put the donuts, right? So the first person I make contact with is Laura Dell, and she's working at the desk, and I show my need, right? I have a legitimate need. I need somewhere to put these donuts, right? So she calls me over, and I'll never forget this interaction because it was so funny. She said, "Um, can I just smell the donuts? And I'm like, yeah, you can smell them. You know, but I'm like, you could have one. And she's like, oh, I'm on a special diet. Could have left it there, right? But I show interest. What are you doing a special diet for? She was training to be a weightlifter. I didn't know anybody like my age who like does weightlifting. So I'm with my friend Becky, who's come with me. And we just start asking her questions about weightlifting. And um, then I don't, I don't really know how the conversation turned, but she um, asked about my friend Becky and I. I have a picture of us from that day. Um, we look a lot alike. So she asked if we were sisters. We're not, but I take the opportunity to say, yeah, we're not sisters, but Becky loved me when I was super unlovable. I met her 15 years ago when I was a freshman in college. I was super prideful, annoying to be around. I'm not sure why she wanted to be friends with me, but she was. And, um, and now I'm a different person because uh, Becky's loved me these 15 years. And Laura Dell was like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard anybody talk like that like in a long time. And I don't know how the conversation went after that, but I know there was a moment where she was wearing a crucifix and Becky asked, what, was that cruci- what did that mean to her? And she said, it helps me remember my family. I came from a Catholic background, but it doesn't mean anything more than that. And then we had to leave because like, we're at a bank, like she's working, you know? And, but Becky asked, can I pray for you? And Lauradell starts crying. And she says she's so anxious about this upcoming weightlifting competition. So we just in prayer, showed her Jesus and just prayed for her, saying that God cares about her weightlifting competition and he cares about her anxiety and he wants it to take away. And then we just left the donuts. Now, I can know, I know, because I can see you guys. So some of you who are introverts are like expecting this turn and you are so nervous. You are laughing. You're like, I cannot imagine buying a dozen donuts, going into a bank and leaving, having prayed for someone. Like that is just not me. So let me just give you a couple, uh, just comforts to you, okay? First of all, when you're having these kinds of conversations, they're one-on-one and they're deep. I know introverts really loathe surface-level conversations with a ton of people. It's okay. We're going deep, okay? Second of all, I did not script that conversation with Laura Dell. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal himself. He wants to be seen, and he wants to be seen through you. So you don't have to be so worried about what the conversation is going to be. And thirdly, 
when you're having these kinds of conversations, please remember that this conversation with Jesus, how did he feel when he started this conversation? Was he full of energy? Like he'd just like been to a gym class and was drinking lots of caffeine and like could not wait to meet people? No, Jesus was weary. We can, when, um, what is so beautiful to me about this moment is that what we see sustaining Jesus and giving him joy is this work of meeting people where they're at and showing them who Jesus is. There's no greater joy in work for the weary than seeing people connect with God. And so the woman has left. Jesus is telling his disciples the story of what has happened and how he doesn't need food anymore. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, now I want you to go and do this too. I want you to have the joy of the work of seeing people connect with God. Jesus could show up in the skies tomorrow and every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There would be no denying who he is. But Jesus tarries and he wants us to help people see him by telling them the story, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. He wants us to be a part of that work, using his metaphor, reaping the harvest, gathering people in by the calendar fall, all the Loredells who want to connect with God because you showed up. You showed your need. This isn't a Megan Hackman work. You showed up. You showed your need. You showed interest in them. You showed them Jesus. That work is so joyful. And what I love about this passage that I read, especially this verse 34 to 38, is he tells us, this is not work you're doing from ground zero. This is work I've already set in place. The harvest is already full. The pear trees are already full. Just go out and get it. Jesus grew weary. Did he ever? But he says, you will not grow weary because Jesus already labored for that which we could not possibly accomplish. I cannot do anything to connect someone to God. The Holy Spirit is the one laboring and doing that work, and I enter into his work, and I get to reap that for which I did not sow. It's a beautiful gift. It's still happening today. Jesus is showing up. I hope he's showing up to you. I hope you sense the interest that Jesus has in you. I hope you sense that Jesus is revealing himself to you. And I really hope that that's true because I want you to know that God has a new story for you that extends without shame and without guilt because of the finished work that Jesus has done. And now he wants you to show who he is to others. Spiritual hunger, it abounds in Rogue Valley, in Port Orchard, in Samaria. People are lonely and anxious. They want to be a part of something. And there is one way to connect with God, even if your story is for husbands, even if your story is control issues and addictions, even if you've abandoned a Catholic heritage. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. So my, I want to pray for you, Jacksonville. I want to pray for a full harvest to come out of the Rogue Valley. And I'm going to form that prayer out of the end of this story so as we share in this time of speaking to God together, hear the end of the story. Our Father Jesus, 
I pray that here in the Rogue Valley, Rogue Valley would be releasing people out of this church to give testimony to come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. I pray that the people of this church would share um, what you said about who they are, how you love them, how you have forgiven them. Lord, would that truth really resonate deeply in those who have forgotten that today? Would the leaders of Jacksonville come to the people of this church asking to know more, to hear more about who you are? Would there be a partnership between this church and this county? Jesus, where many more would come to know who you are and that they would give the testimony, I don't believe in Jesus because of what you said, but because I myself have heard. And I know that truly Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus, you are my savior. You are the savior of First Pres Jacksonville. This is your church. Jesus, you are the savior of this county. You are the savior of Port Orchard. And so would you lift up our eyes to see the lonely and the anxious that you have already labored to bring into your family. And we'd, we rejoice, Lord, I pray for an outworking of joy in this church it's so many who are coming to believe and trust that there is a new story for them. Lord, would, would there be just testimony after testimony rejoicing that you still work and move and gather us in? Thank you, Father. Our hearts are full of gratitude that you would come out in the heat of the day to us who are still at the well and bring us in. Jesus, we love you. Would you meet us in this communion? Would it be like we are sitting by the well, not thirsting again? Meet us, Holy Spirit. Remove our shame. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.